While you're finding your seat this morning, go ahead and open up your Bibles, turn them over to the book of Ruth. There we resume our study today in this wonderful Old Testament book we've been making our way through. You've been with us. We have been going ever so slowly but intentionally through this Old Testament narrative for the express reason that there is a lot here for us to wring out of the passage, for lack of a better for lack of a better way of putting it. And this morning, we're not going to quite finish, Ruth, and you may be wondering why in the world I'm going to be leaving the genealogy. There are two reasons I could be doing that. Either I could be skipping it, which I'm not going to do, or there's a sermon there. <laughs> and and, and if, if you're wondering if there's a sermon there, I would invite you back, because God willing, next week we'll be back here, and you can hear a sermon out of a genealogy. But for today... We're wrapping up, which is the basic narrative of Ruth, the, the, the story itself. It comes to a close before we get to the genealogy next week. And of course, the story kind of culminates, if you've read this book or you're familiar with it, you know that it culminates with what we would call a happy ending. Kind of everybody, every, everybody wins here. But I don't want us to confuse happy endings without obstacles and pain and, and still the opportunity, uh, the, 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 the fact that we have to go through series of events where we don't always know how it's going to turn out. As I said to you many times throughout the study of this story, you don't know. I mean, we as readers know. We can read forward and see kind of how it all shakes out. But the characters in the story itself really had no idea how things were ultimately going to play out. And so what it, what it meant for them was, the overarching theme for them was trust. Will I trust in the goodness of God even when circumstances might lead me in a different direction? Will I trust that I will not be left empty? Will I trust that I will not be left destitute? Will I trust that the Lord will give me the things that I need? And when we put it in those terms and we see Ruth through that particular set of lenses, lens, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get spun out there. When we look at Ruth through that grid, we can see that it's not different from our own life experience, that we, we too have to trust the Lord in those same situations, right? Don't we, don't we go through seasons where we have to trust that the Lord is not going to leave us empty, that the Lord is going to provide what it is that we need? that the Lord sees ends that we don't see, and though we want it to work out one way, He's got an ultimately better plan for us. Beloved, that may involve deep seasons of real pain. See, this is where we have to get to, and, and I'm kind of speaking to myself here a little bit, well, mostly. This is where we have to get to of understanding that the deep seasons of, or the seasons of deep pain are also God's leading. And that those are there quite purposefully to get us to the place where the Lord wants us to be. When we see Naomi and Ruth celebrate the way that they do and the town celebrate them, I dare say it would not have gone that way had they not walked through famine, death, hardship, and wonder where is our loaf of bread going to come from next. That's not easy. We don't sugarcoat that. It's easy to read it and just keep going. But we need to feel the weight of that because they too 
were having one day, having some of their days living by a shred of hope that the Lord was really with them. That's what I love about this. Because you too, we, we too, us, all of us, really must seek to live that way. And so this morning, we're kind of coming to what we'll call the, the, the happy ending, but the full and final, kind of not the full and final heal, healing, but let's call it a full and final healing is what we're looking at this morning. So without further delay, Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Beloved of God, this is God's infallible and errant word. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said, "Then the women rather said to Naomi, "Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons. She has given birth to him." Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word this morning, the very word that we need the very lifeblood for our souls, the very nourishment that we need in mind, body, and soul. Be with us, we pray. Help us to grow, help us to be transformed, and help us to be renewed. It is through Christ we pray. Amen. You've heard me say this from up front before, talking about what time, what time can and cannot do, what time does and does not do. Very cliche for us to hear in culture, just give it time, and then that wonderful, and I'm being sarcastic here, that wonderful phrase, time heals all wounds. Now, if I were to poll this room, and I'm not going to, but if I were to poll this room and ask how many of you have hurts in your past, and we were to go back, I would dare say that most of you would say, I have a hurt that time has not healed. And you know what? Time can't do that. It's not meant to. But when you start talking about deep hurts, and I mean deep hurts, not talking about a casual scrape or a casual relational mishap that you're able to get over and move on. I'm talking about like maybe when you lose a spouse, right? And I don't just mean in death. It could be divorce. Some divorces, they leave a scar that is forever painful. They just are. Or a death. When you lose a child, right? Yeah, you learn how to function, but ask the person, has time healed that wound, or is that wound always there? When you talk to people who may struggle with infertility, and you ask them, this is something they, re- they definitely wanted, and ask them, has time healed that wound? They may say, I've learned to cope, I've learned to trust, I've learned to live, but there's a wound there. And do you know why? Because time doesn't heal those wounds. We learn how to live with it in time. We learn how to process in time, but there's only one answer to those types of deep wounds, and it's Jesus Christ. It's not time. Time can make us a little bit more 
uh, not numb to it, but a little bit more. It gives us the opportunities to deal with it a little bit longer. So we experience what it's like to walk in that valley. But only Christ, only the love of Christ can help us really deal with those wounds. In fact, cue laughter. It is one of the things that Tolkien wrote about so often. When you look at one of the prominent themes in Lord of the Rings, and for those of us who are going to read it together, we'll see this. One of the prominent ring, uh, themes of the Lord of the Rings is the Great Havens. Why? Because there's got to be a space for people who are hurt that deeply to go to where those wounds can ultimately and finally and eternally be mended. We don't need to read Lord of the Rings to get that. We just need to look at the book of Revelation. It tells us everything we need to know right then and there. What does it mean for us to have a destination where all these deep hurts that exist finally find their true healing? And it's in the presence of undiluted glory and love. And so we march. We cannot find the full healing for all the wounds that affect us, but beloved of God, I'm telling you, we can experience presently a restoration, a renewal through the love of Christ laid down for us at the cross. And it seems cliche, right? It seems cliche when we hear it because our, our culture has totally neutered the word love. Uh, it doesn't really mean what it's supposed to mean, but it seems cliche when we hear that love is the answer. Love is what we need. Love is the answer for our brokenness. And while it seems cliche, what is the answer for our brokenness? It is love, a very specific type of love, the very God-honoring, God-centric, God-original love. And so we can endure great pain, we can endure grief, we can endure heartache and hardship by pressing into the love that God has given us through His Son. And where do we experience that? We experience that with His people. Beloved, it's hard because oftentimes the person or, or, or the object that has wounded us is a person. And we can struggle to want to trust people. Acts of betrayal can be another deep-seated pain that is very hard to get over. If you've lived long enough, you've been betrayed by somebody you love, and you can attest it hurts deeply. And yet, there are answers there. God has called us into community with His Son that we might have community with one another, that we might experience a love that truly does heal. Love doesn't demand that we always have the answer. So when someone looks at us and says, why is this happening to me? You don't have to say, well, because. You can say, I don't know, but I know God loves you and I love you, and I won't leave you and neither will God. So love is not having all the right answers. Love is a presence. Love is, is a force of the work of the Holy Spirit. But what does love do for us? Now, as people, what does that mean? Because there, there's an application here. It means that we, too, have to lay down our lives for the love of Christ, that we might be conduits of love to other people. And that's not easy to do either, <laughs> because that means you're going to get hurt. You're going to be experiencing some of those deep pains that you try to get away from, because love calls us into that. But there's a joy there right? There's real joy there. Christ who set His face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Why? 
not out of duty, even though he was doing it out of duty, not out of pure obligation, even though he'd obligated himself, but for the joy that was set before him. Joy even in the face of horrific death. And so love compels us to rejoice when it's hard, when it's painful, when we struggle. When we think about healing, it is not an easy or a quick process. Physical healing is this way. If you hurt yourself bad enough, you have to go through a season of healing. If you've been hurt emotionally or psychologically, mentally, spiritually, those wounds also don't heal quickly. It takes time. It's a process. But what it does require is faith in a healer, not ourselves. Patience as he restores wholeness. You know, in The Voyage of the Dawn, Treader, this is an excellent book, by the way, by C.S. Lewis, part of the Narnia series, Eustace needed to be healed. And he had become this dragon creature that he was on the inside. His outside finally matched his inside. And Aslan, the Christ figure, comes to heal him. And how's the, how's the process? It's slow and painful because Aslan, the Christ figure, has to dig his claws deep into those dragon scales and pull them off, understanding that without the pain of transformation, healing does not occur. The same is true for us. Transformation can oftentimes be painful. And so when we look at Ruth and Boaz and this whole book, love is the answer. Love isn't all we need, but it's the main thing we need. Obviously, we need food, we need air, we need to blink or our eyes will dry up. It's true. It's a need. That one was spontaneous. I probably could have thought of a better one. But there are things that we, we need that are essential for life, but we can't take love out of that equation. Where the love of God does not reign... Where the love of God does not reign, true happiness, wholeness, and healing will not exist. And so with those thoughts in mind, there's a central point for I want first to see, that love is the foundation of God's restorative healing, that love is the, the foundation of God's restorative healing. So when we come to the paragraph in front of us this morning, we look at Ruth 13 to 17, we see that there is a salvific, there's a salvation at work here, and we can't get away from that. There is a salvation at work, and that God is the author and initiator of salvific healing. And so when you look at this, Ruth has just been kind of uh, calling out the same refrain over and over that God or salvation, rather, is God's work, that God is the initiator, that God is the savior of humanity. So when you come to verses 13 through 17, you're looking at something that we would say is mission accomplished. Uh, this has been the whole goal of Ruth, is to do what we find cul the culmination of in these particular verses. So we've got the ceremony has been performed, and then we've got Boaz, and, we're, and the text tells us right here in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth. And there are implications here, and of course the verse explains exactly what that means, that the, the implication here is first and foremost, there are a few things going on here, that when Boaz took Ruth, well, first and most obvious, she became his wife. That's the idea. 
that Ruth has now become the wife of Boaz. But what I love, and as we've seen Boaz operate in this particular story, Ruth is not just a wife of necessity or a wife of convenience. She'll be an object of love. She'll be the object of his affections. He will give his name, so to speak, to Ruth. She will be bound to Boaz now, no longer a widow, no longer destitute, no longer alone, even though she's had Naomi. She is now tied to Boaz. She has a name in the land. Beloved, she has been restored. That's, that's what we take from that. She's been restored. So then we know now that Ruth has been rescued and re- restored in the manner in which she had prayed. So we told that she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. They consummated. They sealed their union. It's the seal of covenant and devotion. What I love about this is it's getting at the the part that a promise was made. That promise was sealed uh, as a covenant promise, and that their whole goal was to have children, that they have covenant and devotion, that they're unified, there's, there's procreation happening, because that's exactly what had to happen for this to really work ideally, right? They needed that to happen, and that's what happened. Here's a question we have to ask. When I love that the writer does this, don't read over statements like this. And the Lord gave her conception. Now, we might ask, why does he make that note? Well, you have to remember, she's been married before, and that marriage produced no children, none. And so when she marries Boaz, that relationship relatively quickly does produce children. And so what is the writer reminding us? This is God's purpose. This is God's time. This is God's work. How do we, how do we live our lives? We can live our lives thinking that we're in control, We can live our lives thinking that if we do all the right combination of things, we'll have good and happy, healthy lives. Or we can live our lives in the reality that God is in control. And in this case, God gave conception when it was time, and the text tells us that she bore a son. The Lord gave conception. It was the Lord's work. And I love this. Remember now, how does the book of Ruth start? It starts with a famine. And so what are, we, what are we told? That the Lord had taken away crops to grow. And then they hear that the Spirit in Israel, or the Spirit had visited Israel again, and the Lord gave a fruitful harvest. And now the Lord is filling the womb. Well, you're starting to see what is the culmination of, of answered prayer. When we look at this, they had prayed that Ruth and Naomi would find hope in the land, would find purpose, and now they have. And the Lord has opened her womb just like he gave a plentiful harvest. He is now going to give Ruth and Boaz a son. But what I love here, and and, and the genealogy will get at this even further, is that God's intervention leads to something bigger than this story. There's there's a reason (laughs) There is a reason you get a genealogy at the end of Ruth, and a very important one, that is leading to the lineage of David. In an Old Testament kind of thinking, that's establishing a major figure in the Old Testament, a key character looking to the throne of Israel. 
But we in the New Testament, we understand that the larger implication here is that this leads to Jesus. I want you to think about something. If you don't have this message about Ruth in this passage, you've heard me say this, you never hear of her. She's obscure. But she's remembered because she was redeemed and plays a larger part in the lineage of Christ. So when you see that she is rescued from obscurity and given a name and given a place and given a purpose, we're seeing a pattern for what God does for His people. But I also want us to see that it's a smaller version of something much larger that happens, that you and I haven't just been redeemed from obscurity, and that doesn't mean that we're going to be superstars. The world will never know most of us, maybe all of us. Some of us, the world already knows. Most of us, the world will never know, other than family members who, rem- who remember us. So we've not been redeemed from obscurity so much as we've been redeemed from eternal death. So was Ruth, so was Boaz, and so is everybody who follows in that line who calls Christ Lord. But the reality is, is the redemption that we need this morning is not necessarily from obscurity. It is from sin. It is from death. It is from being lost. And so the major work here is that Yahweh takes notice of obscure people, people who have no bearing in the land, who are not strong and mighty. And He takes them and He gives them life. He gives them hope and He gives them newness. If you're sitting here this morning, that happened to you if you call Jesus Lord. If you call Christ Lord, that's exactly what God has done for you. And it's easy to get overwhelmed with problems. Look, Ruth and Naomi, at the end of the day, still needed to eat. They still needed to eat. They still needed shelter. They still needed all the things that we fuss and worry over. But one of the things that the major thing that they needed is what the writer of Ruth is really getting at is a restored relationship with Yahweh. Not so that they could be rich and have more grain than they needed, but so they could have life and have it more abundantly. And we rejoice in that. But the text continues on from this. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now remember, Naomi, when she comes back to Israel, to Judah, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I left here full and the Lord has returned me empty. Now whether, we we don't need to discuss how accurate her understanding was. That's not the point. But we do need to see that a great reversal has happened, which is exactly what happens at redemption, that God filled an empty Naomi, that these women are praising God and saying, let the name of the Lord be exalted and blessed. Why? Because of the faithfulness of a simple Moabite woman who comes and who has an opportunity to be used by God. In chapter 1, verse 21, Naomi's, that's where she talks about going away empty. But she's filled now. And who is credited for the filling? Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day. Who gave conception? The Lord. Who visited the land of Judah to give a harvest? The Lord. Who is being blessed now? Who today has not left you 
without a Redeemer, the Lord. We see it. We see that the main character in Ruth, the story, is not Ruth, it's not Boaz, it's not Naomi, it's the Lord. That is the primary. He is the primary character that runs throughout this story. And here's a, here's, here's a, a, a very important detail. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. Now, we might be tempted to think that the women there are talking about Boaz. They are not. They are not talking about Boaz. What they are talking about, the person they are talking about, is actually Obed. The one who ultimately comes, it is through Obed that the name will be reestablished. It is through Obed that the land will be claimed. It is through Obed that all these good things will come. It is through Obed that Jesse will come. It is through Obed and Jesse that David will come. It is through Obed and Jesse and David that Jesus will come. They don't know all that. But the Redeemer there in this particular instance is not looking at Boaz. It's now transitioned over to Obed. The birth of this child, this son who's been born to Ruth and Boaz, he will be the one who does the primary act of rescuing. This son, this fruit of love, this fruit of love from Boaz to Ruth, Boaz marrying Ruth, knowing that he redeems the land, he will ultimately lose the land. The son will technically and by law not bear his name, it will bear Milan's name. The son produced by love for one man, for one woman, becomes the central, important character for this family. He becomes the redeemer. This fruit of Boaz's love for Ruth and the evidence of God's love for his people. If you let your eyes glance back up, Chapter 4, verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Verse 11, a prayer was prayed. They were asking Boaz to be a man of character, a man of faithfulness, and a man of strength in the Lord. That was their prayer. Beloved, if we take the wedding ceremony as it stands in Scripture, as we see it, we know that Boaz was faithful, he's a man of character, and he does exactly what he says he will do. This son, though, this Redeemer, is now asked, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Same prayer, the exact same prayer. They're praying for, that they prayed for uh, Boaz. They're praying for Obed to be an imitator of Boaz. And this one will restore. He will renew. And he will take pains to keep the family name and the family alive. And Naomi lives with them. Naomi now who is full and living has life. Why? Because of the son. That starts to preach, right? You have this son who is born into the world, who becomes the object of hope for a family who was destitute and lost and in need. But we don't have to try very hard to make that connect to a much larger story, that a son who has come into the world as an infant to bring hope to the destitute, life to the dead, 
and filling to the empty that we might have life abundantly. It is the message of redemption captured in Ruth, the very message, the very story of Christ captured in Ruth. And so this becomes a gospel story. And look at what they say to Ruth. This doesn't, this doesn't affect us in modern-day America like it would have in ancient Israel. But when they tell Naomi, he shall be a restorer of your life, literally that word there is, is a redeemer and a nourisher of your old age. In other words, the son is going to take care of you and do all the things you need. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, there we go, the key theme, why is healing happening? Because there's love present, who is more to you than seven sons. Now, I want you to take a step back from that. That might not mean much to us, but in ancient Israel, seven sons was considered a perfect family. You had seven sons, you had a perfect family. So, we can, we can extrapolate what type of family did Jacob have with 12? Seven sons. Seven sons was a perfect family. What are they saying? This one woman, this Moabite, this one daughter of someone whom we don't know is better, has been better for you than seven sons. She has provided a level of love and perfection that you needed better than seven sons could have. This is a powerful statement, and it needs to hit us with all the feels because it is a bold statement that Ruth is not better than seven sons because she's a strong farmer, because she's an excellent warrior, because she is super-duper wise, She's stronger than seven sons because she loved boldly. And that love helped shepherd Naomi through a very deep, dark time and led them to Boaz. And so God brings salvation through the love of Ruth. God brings hope and rescue through the love of Ruth. And you know, as I said said to you a few moments ago, none of us will probably be remembered in the annals of history. We probably won't. But it is interesting to me how many of God's people are remembered, not because of great acts or miracles, but because of how they loved. Even the martyrs, if you go back and read martyr stories, often it's their love for Christ and His people that's the reason we remember them. And so what does salvation become? It becomes a fruit of God's love for His people. You and I, we can receive a healing now, and it's a foretaste of something much greater than this moment. It's a foretaste of something much more magnificent than this moment. And that has to give us hope. It's easy to despair in our world. It really is. It's very easy to despair. And you get tempted daily to despair. I do too. And it's texts like this that remind us of a love working behind the scenes that we can't always see or feel, but that is there that should give us hope. Very quickly, I want to wrap this paragraph up. Verse 16 and 17, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So if, if you're looking at saving sovereign love in the first part of this paragraph, what you're looking at here is covenant love. Um, the word is, that I love that you hear me mention all the time is the word chesed, and it, it means steadfast love, covenant love. 
But what is the love that, that, that heals wounds and, and binds us together? It is God's covenant love. When you look at Naomi again, she stands as one who's been restored, that God took pains to restore Naomi, that God took pains to restore Ruth. Now she takes this one, this restorer, he will be a nourisher to you. He will be a nourisher to you in your old age. He will be a restorer of life to you. She takes him on her lap, and she embraced and nurtured. Literally, it says laid him on her lap, but think more of she took the child into her bosom. So not just laid on the lap and petted, but held close to the heart. That's the idea. It's not just that he would lay across her knees, but he would lay into her chest. A sign of affection, a sign of love, a sign of care. Uses the word nurse. And don't just think of wet nurse. Not just feed the child. Ruth could have done that. But think of the idea of help shape and teach and give him true community. So nursing is a very intimate thing for you nurses who are with us this morning. You know it can be a very intimate thing. My mother was a nurse. I've watched her her whole life. She loves people and patients, and it was her joy, well, mostly, to care for people. There were some people who were not a joy to her. Um, but she's driven very compassionate. I love that word nurse because it's so much larger than just feeding children. We use that for new mothers, that they are nursing moms, and that is a thing. But the, the concept is bigger than that. It's the idea of compassion and care and, and discipleship and teaching and community. This child, this child becomes a child of promise. This child becomes a restorer. But I love what the name of the child is given. Maybe some of your Bibles and the footnotes tell you what his name means. Ovid, Ovid means to serve or servant. The Redeemer Restorer is known primarily as a servant. And so we look at this one. The women of the neighborhood, we can, we can quibble over whether or not they name him or they're just calling out his name that's already been given. They're, the People have different opinions. It doesn't matter. They're calling out this one whose is the gift of God who is the restorer and nourisher to Naomi, who is in a sense kind of a rescuer to Ruth, and he is identified as a servant. Not to be lauded so much, but to come and to serve. We have another servant in, in this same line who came and said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what a powerful, powerful testimony we have when we see that the fullness of the Lord is realized in this rescuer, this restorer, this nourisher, this, this hope for one. He comes as a servant. Not only is that a great call to us as Christians, but it's a reminder of the true gospel that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so it ends with the genealogy, which we will stop before we get there because that wraps up the book of Ruth and it paves the way for then the annals of the kings and how even David and Solomon and the few righteous kings beyond them 
were not the answer that we needed for true redemption. So when we look at this, we want to say that God's love is seen in His own redemptive love for His people. And so often, I think, if you're like me, maybe, maybe you, you look for things or signs that show God's love for us. And, we, we, and when we're bold enough, or maybe when we're sad or mad enough, we might actually say it out loud. If God loved me, He would do blank. If God loved me, He would not let blank happen. If you are a human being, you've at least thought it. Maybe some of you are willing to say, I've actually said it out loud. I've said it out loud in moments of pain and despair. But you know what I'm reminded of? If God loves me, and then when you look in the pages of Scripture, there shines the cross and says, if, oh, no, 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 for God loved the world this way, that He gave His Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, when we look, when we allow ourselves to look at redemption, we see the love of Christ. We see the love of God. When we're broken, when we're empty, when we're lonely, when we're hurting, it is the redeeming love of God that brings the restorative balm that reminds us we are loved infinitely more than we can possibly comprehend. And so the healing that we need is found in one place. And then it's not in anything that the world has to offer. It's not in anything the world can give. And the healing is not available to us because we've earned it. The healing is not available to us because we've done something to merit it. No, the healing is free in Christ. And God doesn't promise a life of no pain. He never told Ruth and Naomi, if you'll serve me, I'll give you a life of no pain. They walk through it. There's joy in the pain if we're willing to believe in Christ. There's hope in desperation if we're willing to trust in Christ. And there's renewal day by day. So God doesn't promise a life of no pain, but what He does promise is eternal healing through His redeeming love. What He does promise is through faith in Christ, when we transition from this life to the next, we'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the rest of your Father. Please pray with me. Father, thank You for this time, this word, this paragraph. Uh, for the songs that we've sang that led us, to the, led us to this moment, for the prayers that have been prayed that prepared our minds and hearts for this moment, and now for Your Word to speak ever so clearly to us about the truth of redemption. Thank You for renewing us. Thank You for calling us. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for walking with us. God, and thank, and thank You for even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because You are with us. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.